0: Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
1: The Omicron variant is turning the Premier League's December fixture list on its head with five of this weekend's fixtures already postponed and more game cancellations expected before year's end. What does it all mean for clubs, players, and fans? I'm joined by Heath Beers and James Bench to discuss that, as well as looking ahead to what's left of the weekend action, including Tottenham hosting Liverpool, a Serie A six pointer between Milan and Napoli, the USMNT's last run out of the 2021 season, and much, much more. Kegel Lasso weekend preview with an asterisk begins right now. Everybody welcome to Kegolaso. Thank you so much for being part of the family. We are on Twitter. We are verified. Kegolaso Pod. We have more than 6000 subscribers on YouTube as well and it's all thanks to you. Thank you so much please help us to support the show you can now rate as well on spotify so please make sure that you go there and give us a nice rating as well as apple podcasts and anywhere else you listen to your pods right then it's the weekend preview with an asterisk uh, heath pierce speaking live from a footlocker in dubai how are you buddy
2: I'm doing good. I'm doing well. Obviously, the asterisk is not the most exciting thing, but uh, we're going to get into some of this uh, conversation, things that we can control, uh, so to speak, which are mostly generally words that come out of my mouth. Maybe not, but uh, (laughs) good to see you guys.
1: Absolutely right. James Bench wearing that Miami Heat jersey, super fly Miami Vice style. How are you, buddy?
3: Um, I am absolutely, to be honest, I'm absolutely exhausted. It's been a week where I've spent much more of my time writing about Omicron and public health and taking lateral flow tests than actually thinking about football. So it's great that we can start by talking about all the Premier League games that aren't going to happen.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And correctly so. And obviously, everybody knows that Omicron has really taken uh, obviously not just the footballing world, but everybody to a vulnerable position including james Benjus uh there in the uk we wish you and your family and everybody safe as well you know but that includes everybody here in new york city as well things are skyrocketing so from a sporting perspective it's not just football it's, it's really everything all aspects of society so please make sure that you are safe get your booster if you can maintain social distancing etc etc and we wish you all the best but we begin as james said on omicron and how it's basically Essentially, factually thrown uh, the EPL fixture list into upheaval. There's a lot going on here, and Bench is going to give us a little update. But so far, you know, as we're taping, nine matches postponed this month, including five of this weekend's fixtures, United against Brighton. Basically, most of Saturday it, it is out the window uh, due to COVID cases. Five games in the championship have been canceled. So, James Bench, just give us an update. Obviously, this, is keep, this keeps on moving hour by hour. So by the time you listen to this or watch this, everybody, even more news will come. But Bench, talk to us about what the latest.
3: Yeah, I mean, I think it's certainly we're starting with what you just said there, that this situation is so fluid, it can change in a matter of hours uh, or minutes. Um, certainly yesterday, it seemed kind of inevitable that something more significant might happen when the Premier League postponed four games uh, just off the bat, following straight after the uh, Man United-Brighton postponement. But for now, it's holding at half of the games being postponed, um, uh, you, you know, as, as you said, Luis, mostly falling on Saturday, um, largely due to uh, just uh, skyrocketing cases, not just in the EPL, but with, within the United Kingdom in general. I believe it today was the, the record day with around 90,000 cases all down to Omicron. The Premier League line is, if we can play a game, we'll try to play it. Um, it is still very hard to to see how long that holds out for. Uh, and it's going to vary on a case-by-case basis. But before the meeting that they will have on Monday, the view is very much, you know, if we can play games, let's play them. We don't know what the future holds. Thomas Frank suggested postponing the games up until Boxing Day. Well, I think a lot of people would tell you that it doesn't look like the situation will be better on December 26th. Other clubs are suggesting waiting until the third round of the FA Cup, which is the around uh, the 7th, 8th, 9th and 10th of January. Well, that immediately throws your fixtures into crisis. It's worth remembering there are two empty midweeks in the Premier League schedule between now and the end of May or the end of the season in, in late May. So there is not space to reschedule many of the games that are, are already not on the, the docket. We expect more to fall down eventually um, of, of the weekend games the one that seems possibly to be in doubt is uh, Burnley against Aston Villa. Aston Villa are waiting on PCR tests from their first-team squad yeah. um, that will confirm whether or not they can play. Some games will be going ahead with with significant numbers of players having COVID. Chelsea are going to be without Lukaku, Werner. Um, and there'll be no Van Dijk, no Fabinho for Liverpool. It's worth noting, this isn't the true of every team, um, and I'll stop talking soon, but Wolverhampton Wanderers have a fully vaccinated squad. They're able to play. Southampton, Ralph Hasenhutl said today, very close to 100%, they're able to play. So, you know, there is an awful lot of talk and conversation here. But, you know, the answer to everyone's questions, as you said, Luis, get vaccinated, get boosted. All that stuff is going to make it easier for everything to keep going. And uh, that's the big message that will be coming out of the Premier League over the next few days. But it's half steam ahead, certainly not full steam ahead, but they're trying to do what they can.
2: Yeah. Thanks for the context. I appreciate that. It's almost like you're living it out there. So uh, it's good to know that you're, 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 you're in the depths of it all, but what, I mean, what's the league's criteria for determining or postponing games? Cause you know, obviously you read, you know, Mikel Arteta is asking for more transparency. You have Jurgen Klopp that's saying when you can play, you should play. You obviously just now spoke to the fact that there's not a lot of open windows. There feels like there's a little bit of PTSD of what could happen uh, if there is a shutdown. What does that mean for league games? Obviously, you know, it seems like there should have been protocols in place and exact number of, of cases or situational. Obviously, it's pretty fluid and things are going to change like that. But has there been any sort of statements or any sort of transparency as to to, uh, you know, what what to expect? Obviously, I, I can understand for the teams right now, especially because they're trying to recover lost revenue over the last, you know, 18 months. And, and now they're starting to get back into the swing of things. And and that's fearful. That's fearful in so many ways, uh, you know, and, and the top of that list is, is public safety and the safety of the players and the staff. Uh, I mean, I guess what is the, the the criteria to go back to my question? Yeah,
3: so the Premier League would say that, that, that its board decides everything on a case-by-case basis and the key considerations are... I mean, th- th- there's one that underlines and the Premier League board can make this based on any criteria, but if you don't have... A set number of players available. You don't have to play your game. It doesn't have to just be because of COVID. And it was notable that I think Norwich against West Ham United, that was postponed not because Norwich had too many COVID cases, but because it was felt they didn't have enough players to fulfil. The Premier League don't say what that is. My understanding is it's 14 players, including one goalkeeper. Um, But as you say, Mikel Arteta was really sort of quite forceful in saying, you know, we need clear guidelines here. Because you know, go back to the start of the season. Arsenal were going to play Brentford for COVID cases. They said to the, they had a conversation with the Premier League. They never formally requested postponement, but only because the Premier League said, if you ask, we'll say no. Um, but having said that, you know, there are challenges with having a real clear benchmark. UEFA have this; um, it, it's thirteen players on list on their list on your list A squad. If you have them, you have to play the game. Well, they're pretty much right now. They're investigating whether Tottenham had. 12 or 13 or 14 players available to Antonio Conte for the Ren game. But that doesn't kind of, the reality is they also had this huge COVID outbreak that, that was over a dozen people, uh, nine players, I think in the end, five members of staff. So it's tough. You you do want clear set rules so that this situation isn't exploited. uh, By
2: by the way, Benji, at least on that with, with UEFA, you, you set a roster, right at the beginning, Mm. like you submit your roster. So at least, there's some clarity to that. Whereas when you're a, a club team, you've got everything from your academy up uh, that you have potential access to. If you were to have all those as injuries, you would call upon those players, right? Uh, in, in those circumstances. So it just seems a little bit harder to create a certain number because these squad l- lists could be what 50, 60, if they, if they had to be.
3: Yeah, exactly. I think that's, that's true. And th- this is, this is the the sort of question mark that, that maybe hangs over some of these games is, Certainly, I would never suggest them, you know clubs are ask, act, acting cynically about this, but I think maybe there's, there's been pressure to just just call it off. And we saw this with Leicester Tottenham. Now, Leicester, in the end, ultimately did have enough COVID cases uh, for the game to need calling off. But Tottenham were, were pretty much asking for it to be postponed so that they could play a different game, which it's really tough. I don't know what's fair there because it's not Tottenham's fault they couldn't play against Wren in the first place. But then the Premier League can't, you know, throw open its its schedule and let Spurs get further
1: behind. Yeah, and, and that tournament, so Conference game. League, has nothing to do with the Premier League. So everybody has their own uh, necessities, own, their own responsibilities. And you mentioned on Monday, James, that the Premier League has to make some decisions as well regarding the December fixture list. I mean, you know, which way are you thinking it's going to go if you were a guessing man? Because December fixtures are so important. Like, obviously towards everything but then if we think about it as well later on in in february there's meant to be a tiny break maybe they don't take a break and they take the break right now what 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 are you thinking might happen
3: so that that break has been mentioned my understanding is that's the, the it's a break but it's the time when north american south american qualifiers and asian qualifiers <laughs> yeah. are certainly north america like
1: you and know january beginning of february yeah
3: yeah i know chelsea can cope without christian pulisic but you know, the reason that there's a break is so players like him can go off and play. Um Over, you know, as you say, Luis, December fixtures are hugely important. And the one thing I keep hearing is TV. You know, this is a great yeah. slot, not just in England and the UK, but around the world, particularly other, t- other leagues have stopped. Premier League drives into overdrive. Um, they really want to keep the show on the road. And they, they know there's, there's no there's no landing spot for these again. Um, what was your other question? I've got, my mind's gone. (laughs) No, just
1: uh, overall what you, I know, and thank you so much for all the context. You provided so much information, but where do you think the Premier League will lean uh, when we hit on Monday?
3: They're really going to push to play as many games as possible. There will be, you know, there will be teams arguing against this, but I think Partly as well, their view is, can we wait to see what the government does about this? We've seen in Wales, you know, this is quite complicated, although actually maybe quite familiar to, to the US where you have state legislature and, and federal. You know, in the UK, um, health health responsibilities are de- devolved um, to separate regional governments based on the four nations. Um, it, it may well be that they kind of rely on the, the, the British government to make a decision for them that they say, you know, the games have to go behind closed doors or, you know, Mm. we're going to have to stop these games for now. Um, And I think that really what they're doing is almost waiting for someone else to force their hand. But in the meantime, they'll keep going and and play as many games as they can.
1: Yeah, this is very, very problematic. It's challenging. A lot of catch 22s. And obviously we appreciate Benji's uh, context and make sure, as we said, this just keeps continuing. So follow us, follow James, uh, you know, CBS Sports, as we continue to give you. But, you know, Omicron is a massive, if not the main protagonist, as we continue these fixtures. But let's talk about the games that are happening as of right now. Tottenham against Liverpool, Sunday game. Uh, There are cases in here, by the way. Fabinho, Curtis Jones, Van Dyke suspected positive. But Mohamed Salah on a 15-game Premier League run of providing a goal or an assist uh, that ties Jamie Vardy. And I believe Alan Shearer, 94-95, not consecutive, but he got 16 goals and nine assists. So one more, and he ties Alan Shearer, which is kind of ridiculous. But Tottenham versus Liverpool. Uh, Tottenham, as we talked about, they have games to play, Heath Pierce, There's a lot that they have to do. Um, let's talk about this game, and how do you think, uh, first of all, how do you think Tottenham fans are feeling about this one as they look ahead to playing arguably the best team in England, uh, definitely one of the best in Europe?
2: It sounds terrible, or at least a bit cynical, to assume that there's an excitement in the team if they can inch back to full health or have a less than full health uh, Liverpool side uh, in the timing. And it's not as if you play into the, these types of moments, but in the same way that you would address it if Virgil Van Dijk was injured, you would see that as an opportunity for your team. Although we know that it's a, it's not the same Harry Kane uh, that we that we saw before. I just think it's an opportunity now for 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 Spurs to to. Perhaps get something. Obviously, they're playing at home in this one. Liverpool are uh, missing a few key pieces. Uh, obviously, Jurgen Klopp is seemingly setting the tone for his team to just keep playing and keep playing games. He seems to be on that side um, of the argument. So that could be a potential motivator for his players, for his team, to say, hey, we're going to fight through this. We're going to go through these tough times. They're obviously looking at last season and everything that they went through as, as a, a bit of adversity that they've learned from. So I don't think they'll, they'll, they'll go easy in uh, the fact that they've got a few players missing which could end up being a few more players uh by, by tomorrow who knows uh but yeah overall it should be a good matchup and uh, certainly it, what i would have said previously to this is that spurs have no chance that i do think their odds are increasing at this moment
3: i mean spurs are gonna have to... It, it's very hard to know what spurs we're getting it's been so long I think since we've seen them play but spurs under conte we're getting better in attacking terms you know you could see the the classic conte three343 3 merging together a bit. Lucas Moura, I thought was in great form. And of course you're getting a lot from Son, but you know, the reality is that the, the attack is going to have to overwhelm the, uh, the other side. I think Liverpool are on a 26 match away scoring streak, something like that. So the ridiculous. longest in, in Premier League history. So but
1: James, if Tottenham wins all their games, they're only three points behind Chelsea. <laughs> I
3: mean, I, I have to, I mean the, the, the real challenge they're going to have at some stage this season, because you know, who knows what it is they're not going to be able to win all their games because they're going to just come too thick and too mm. fast for what is not like a squad deep in terms of quality. Um, they've got Giovanni Lo Celso, He's back, but no Christian Romero this year who I think they would really miss if you're just trying to hold Liverpool to one or try and get a clean sheet. You know, they don't look like, you know, if you look just at the the, the simple players in that you'd have Dyer, um, Davies, doesn't really look like a team that's going to hold Liverpool to one goal. Mm. Um, so I think this is going to be really tough for them. And and we don't know, you know, I was sitting in Antonio Conte's pre-Leicester press conference, the game that never happened. And, you know, he was really emphasising these players that I've got coming back, they're not going to be fit enough for this game. That's, I think, seven of the nine are back. So two are still unavailable. But they're not going to be kind of ready to play at, at, at full throttle. Liverpool have been relatively OK. They'll certainly miss Van Dijk and miss Fabinho, but everyone else is playing. With this intensity that, I mean, you know, I'm sure Heath could attest, it's not the last team you'd want to face if you're coming back from from illness or from injury, aren't they?
1: Yeah, and by the I, way, uh, there's the a mid thing mid I'd say, League Cup game. Sorry, I was just going to say, Heath, there's a midweek uh, League Cup game for Tottenham at home to West Ham, which is, you know, at this point, I mean, I don't even think it's going to happen. Now, go ahead, Heath.
2: Yeah I mean that's exactly what I was going to say is that if if you're Spurs the only thing you can really tap into not knowing who's going to be on the field or who's going to return to the pitch or who's fit to play more than 45 or 60 minutes knowing that you know there might be some that just aren't up for it even though they are cleared to play because they haven't they're not in the physical or even mental state to be able to compete at that level so for me the the the, the question is you know, for, for them is you have to tap into something more for this game because you don't know. You don't even know the windows that they're going to have to make up. Ben, you said it. There's only two two empty uh, match days right throughout from now till the end of the into the end of the season. And so, if if Spurs were to be on the other end of some bad luck that may happen, where another game gets postponed on something they can't control, I don't know where you make those points up. And so. Whether they go into a, you know, in in, in Major League Soccer, they did a, a points, a points per game averaging on tables and all kinds of things like that. That that could play into effect. Obviously, I don't want to get uh, ahead of myself on this one, but I just wonder, you know, what the mindset of these players are in a moment like this, knowing that you don't know how many where you're going to find those games, and and I think that players are now becoming more adapt to to schedule changes and things that you can't control, right, in terms of oh, they've now sprung testing on you, or now you're stuck in a hotel for a couple of weeks where the team's in isolation. I think the players have gone through that over the last couple of years, that this could be a moment for them to at least tap into to say, hey, we need to get these types of points because there's a lot of uncertainties moving ahead. There might be, you know, where we're going to have to play games much closer together than we expected or what would be healthy. Therefore, we're going to have to rotate our squad. So whoever we have, let's, sh- let's go out there and try to get these points. And it might be worth something, but I think you said it well, Benj, that it's, you don't want to play Liverpool right now.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, we're going to keep on rolling here with the Premier League, then we'll take a break. But let's uh, move on here. Uh, I've got two Arsenal fans here on the show. Leeds against Arsenal. Marcelo Bielsa on thin ice a little bit. I think Leeds have conceded 10 goals in their last two matches, but really overall, just the way that they're conceding, the way that they're playing. We always knew there was going to be a sophomore season, a sophomore slump for Marcelo Bielsa, just because of the intensity. You could never almost predict. That's kind of what happens in Marcelo Bielsa's club history history. Uh, overall, and you can see it now with Leeds. And now they're facing Arsenal boys who are flirting with Champions League football again, uh, doing well under Mikel Arteta. All right, some uh, updates on pierre Emmerich, Obama Young though. James Bench removed of his captaincy. Nowhere to be seen these days. What's going on?
3: Well, first of all, I mean, Arsenal aren't flirting with Champions League They're football. there, look, they, I know, I look know. Look at that they're table, they're, they're talking about moving in with Champions League they're, football. They're,
1: they're marrying the Champions League football spot, that's right, and, yeah. And
3: hey, it's worth saying, you know, this is a dreadfully cynical viewpoint, but Arsenal, the look of their, the fixture list and so on, they could end up racking up all these points and having a huge lead, loads of scoreboard pressure on, on a team like Tottenham. But anyway, in terms of Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, um, he won't be available for this game. Uh, Mikel Arteta confirmed that in his press conference today. And just speaking to people around Arsenal, my understanding of the situation is he's no longer training with the first team, um, which is quite a significant step. If you look at uh, also the the fact that he will be going off to AFCON um, late this year, yeah, he's, I think we're not going to see another...
1: Awesome. He's done
3: well, the only, re- the only thing that would change this is that, that there's not really many takers for him on the market unless yeah, Barcelona wants to shoot, loan him. Yeah. Um, Arteta, he's a tough man. He's a hard disciplinarian, but I know for a fact with a player like Matteo Guendouzi, he will, he is willing to offer the olive branch at the right moment. There's real internal disappointment about this. Um if Aubameyang comes back in, it will be on Arteta's terms. And it's worth saying that Arsenal look a lot better when Alex Lacazette plays up front than they do when Bamiang does, as yep. good a finisher as Aubameyang can be. But yeah, right now, you know, it, it, it's certainly, uh, it will be a while, I think it's fair to say, before we see Bamiang in an Arsenal shirt. Yep.
2: Yeah, and we talked about this for a while now, of just his role and responsibility being kind of an outlandish uh, type of guy. You know, his his ability to lead in that locker room is going to be so important. And anytime that he was playing well, you go back a few years before he signed his massive deal, and he led by example on the field. He seemed to have the ear of some of the young players. But now you look at this Arsenal squad and you go, wow, this is a young team with a lot of potential moving forward. And the last thing that you need, and if you're Arteta, you can recognize that right away, is somebody who has the ear or has the respect because of what they've done on the pitch over the years, right? Actually performing at the level that he has can have a huge impact on those young players. And that means on the positive side, but now we're seeing on the negative side of what it looks like, you know? And I've, I, I, I'm sure I've told this story before of when I walked through the car park uh, at Arsenal with with Thierry Henry and, and he was pointing to all the cars of the reserve team and said, none of these players have ever touched the first team before, but now we're living in an era where all of these players have this privilege of big cars, huge contracts, all these types of things that they're coming into this locker room thinking they've made it, right? And some of them are still being driven by their parents in the cars that they bought <laughs> with the contracts that they've had when they've never played for the first team. And he, he was making it clear of like his era, and I get it, like nobody wants to hear the grumpy old man talk about in my era, but he was making an example of like these players are already coming in privilege. So if you have somebody like Obama Yang that thinks they're above the law, Young players look at that and go, okay, yeah, I can burn the candle on both ends. I can do these things. And it's really important for Arteta to be able to know, having been in these types of locker rooms before, to be able to nip that in the bud and and move forward. And now you might see the consequences of that, which could be a disruption. But it's better than him being able to potentially slowly poison the well of all these players thinking that they're better than they are or that they have uh, privilege uh, than they are and don't have to follow team rules and things like that.
1: Yeah, which is exactly what Mikel Arteta is doing right now. And it's why the culture, not just this decision over removing his captaincy, uh, training with not the first team, are implications of how it's a new type of philosophy, new era at Arsenal. Just very quickly on Leeds United, by the way, everybody, they're 16th, 16 points. And Burnley, who are 18th, uh, have two games in hand, only five points behind. So worrying times for Marcelo Bielsa and Leeds United. Let's move on here. Uh, Newcastle hosting Man City. Uh, The game has moved to an earlier time slot, Sunday, nine a.m. Eastern. By the way, Pep Guardiola cancels his presser after an inconclusive COVID test. Uh, Just from a football perspective here, uh, Heath Pierce, Newcastle. I mean, it's only going one way at this point, isn't it?
2: Yeah, I mean, I mean, I made the, I made the joke that uh, you know asking Jimmy Conrad early on of like, do you think it would be better to have this war chest to rebuild in the in the in the Premier? I mean, in the Championship, uh, moving on. And obviously, nobody wants that. But when you look at other teams that have had to do that over the years, and we talk about uh, force forcefully so of whether that's Rangers in, in in Scotland or you've got Juventus in in Italy and other teams that have forcefully gone down or gone down to only rebuild and come back up, uh, you know, you could see the potential around actually starting a project in a different place. But it just seems like I don't know what the right thing to do is. Do you end up uh, just having wealthy owners and it takes three, four years to now dispose of some of the players you might sign in January? It's worrisome. I mean, obviously this match I think goes to Man City for sure. There's very few people, you know, it's kind of like uh, the people you don't want to meet are Liverpool and Man City at the moment. And uh, Man City are phenomenal. I think they see this one out comfortably, but I am worried about Newcastle because it doesn't seem like, you know, Ben mentioned Arsenal's fixture list. Newcastle does not have a friendly, or favorable fixture list. And, and I think it's not going to get easier for them. The The only benefit they have is the potential for, for postponed or canceled matches that could allow them to, to uh, open up a window of time where they have a better team or better players or a transfer window even, because right now it's not looking good.
3: Yeah. Yeah. If I were Newcastle, <laughs> I would be very much in favor of a, a lengthy break that allows them to maybe build up as many fixtures as they can after the January transfer window, because I think Eddie Howe is having a positive impact. You know, you're seeing players like Joel Linton getting better, but the players aren't very good. So, and you have a, an opportunity in a few months to buy good players, maybe not players that will, uh, that you know, maybe potential mercenary players or however you want to describe them, but they just need, they just need to get to January and get some good players in really fast.
1: Yeah, we will see if that happens. Finishing here before we take a break, Chelsea visiting Wolves. Um, by the way, uh, bench Chelsea, obviously we've talked about Liverpool, Man City and Chelsea has always been part of that conversation, but as of recently, I feel that there could be an argument now that there's a little tiny separation between city Liverpool and now Chelsea, or is this just a blip James bench, uh, with Thomas Tuchel and the blues?
3: I think it's a blip. If you kind of look at things like the XG they had in that Everton game, it was ludicrous that, that, that ended up as a one, all and mm. you know. Tuchel himself would say this is, you know, the, the performances are not being reflected in the results. I think actually maybe you could argue they were a bit worse in attacking, uh, in attacking play earlier in the season without, with Romelu Lukaku in the team. One funny thing we should point out, uh, is funny and a bit sad, um, we know that that Jorginho is a doubt, Ruben Loftus-Cheek is a doubt for this game. N'Golo Kante, if he plays, he'll be playing on one leg. Uh, he, they made rush Mateo Kovacic back. He was injured with an ankle injury, came back, Tested positive for COVID the next day. It back came back in training today, and Tuchel was laying all this out, and not at any stage, not for a moment, did he mention Saul, who <laughs> was supposed to be the you know the the best fourth midfielder on the planet, uh, but he is woeful. I think it's sad. Sadly,
1: Chelsea squad, I think there's an argument to be made about being the best midfield. I think like Jimmy Conrad always says, I think uh, Cholo Simeone knew something that neither of us did. Definitely not Chelsea Heath, but they're facing a Wolves side, by the way. I'm seeing the betting tips here. Uh, Plus 275 for a draw. I mean, Wolves at home, you know, aside from that Liverpool game, that's usually what happens or just slim margins. How do you see this game?
2: Yeah. I mean, I, I like the draw. I like both teams to score and, and there being a draw, obviously Chelsea haven't had a clean sheet in their last six matches, which, you know, uh, Benji's talking about the, the XG and the goal scoring opportunities they're creating is, 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 is comfortable at the moment. I think that part bounces back, bounces back. But the thing, the other thing that they were great and known for is that ability to defend uh small leads to, to grind out results, to be very hard to break down. And, you know, and they're giving a, multiple goals in multiple games over the last month and they just seem a little bit off there and again I do think this is a funk I don't think that they've lost some sort of identity but it can as these things run on you can create your own bad luck or create your own luck where you start to think that you know things aren't going your way and that can lead to you continuously having moments uh, of uh, lapse of judgments that lead to goals against where you give up a half chance and you get punished for it you can see those become themes over time. And and that's the thing that I'm worried about with Chelsea. I don't think that they've fallen apart whatsoever. I don't think there's any locker room issues, but I think they're just being they're being, they're being uh punished on these these marginal errors right now that that are costing them points.
1: Yeah. Well, that is the Premier League, everybody. And like we mentioned at the very beginning, keep on track because this A storyline of uh, Omicron and uh, cases, positive cases in different squads and postponements of matches will continue to happen. So make sure you stay updated. We're going to take a break. When we come back, some sexy Serie A action going on. And the USMNT are playing as well this weekend, as well as some thoughts on La Liga and much, much more. Que Lasso, weekend preview, James Bench. He fears.
0: uh, We'll be right back. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.
1: Following on from Thursday's coverage of the NWSL expansion draft, CBS Sports HQ will be bringing you live coverage of the NWSL college draft on Saturday, December 18th, starting at 2 p.m. Eastern. Listen to Attacking Third with Sandra Herrera and Lisa Roman for full NWSL draft previews with guest experts, and live draft recaps following the coverage on HQ. Find attacking third on Apple Podcast, Spotify, Stitcher, or watch on YouTube.com forward slash attacking third. All right, let's move on to Serie A, everybody, which you can watch exclusively on Paramount Plus. Uh, there's some games going on all over the weekend, and it's a very tight race. Uh, whether you look in the top six or Champions League spots, etc. But Heath Pierce, let's begin as well with uh, Christian Eriksen. Obviously, we know. His narrative, his story from uh, this year, everything that happened in year 2020. We continue to wish him the very best. But uh, Inter terminate Ericsson's contract by mutual consent. Said, he, I want to allow him to play with an implantable cardioverter defibrillator, an ICD device. Uh, the league won't allow that to happen. He's been training on his own at Danish club Odense. But Inter and Ericsson say goodbye. Quick thoughts on that.
2: Yeah, I don't really like the wording that is being used uh, with the word termination just because it has such a negative connotation to it. And I'm trying to remove that word from the actual circumstances. Obviously, uh, the uh, Federation has rules or the league has rules against having uh, heart controlling devices, I believe, uh, for uh, you know contractually. And I don't know if that's an insurance policy thing or if it's whatever it is that helped them to determine that at a certain point. Uh, it's disappointing. I hate the word terminated just because it just feels off and wrong for what he's done for the club. Obviously, he didn't play a huge role early on, but then came back to be a huge part of their their scudetto uh, run, and and everybody knows his story. Would love to see him keep playing. I, I'm I'm waiting to see what else comes out about this in terms of mutual decisions, what he yeah. wants to do, what the odds are of of him playing again. Obviously. Everybody asked the question during the Euros is, will he ever play again? Will he ever play again? And I think that was the last thing on anybody's mind. It was just about uh, stability. And and now to have this this come out, it just seems a bit bizarre. I don't know what the t- if there was a tension point or if this was just pure logistics or if this is, again, an insurance thing or a legal issue or what it is, but it's certainly disappointing to see him go. And obviously, would love for the wording of this to be in a different light. Uh, so it's seen more as a, just a, um, you, you know, just the, a mutual know, like, parting
1: yeah. of ways. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Whatever, it, whatever it is, it just feels like there's a little bit of negativity between the parties right now, or maybe I'm, I'm reading too much into the wording, but it seemed like there was a much gentler way, uh, for a press release to go out. That was more, um, you know, beneficial to the player. Obviously when you read some of the stuff, it's, it's all benefit. It's all benefit. And maybe it's being lost in translation, but yeah, um, I'm, I'm interested to see more and, and kind of where this is going to go. And obviously he's at Odinsa and, in in uh, Denmark right now and, and and hopefully he gets an opportunity to, to, to play at a high level again.
3: Yeah, I mean it is, it's hard to, I mean we don't know, we're not medical experts so we don't know what his professional career might hold but we do know that the last time, you know, before everything that happened at Euro 2020, when he was on a football pitch regularly, he had com- completely convinced Antonio Conte of his worth. Conte having been a bit doubtful early on and was becoming a really key player for a great Inter Milan team and one that as good as they've been this season, they'd still love to have him back. You know, and I think there are an awful lot of teams who, if they, if Christian is 90, 95% of the player he was, he could still be a really valuable player for a top European team, you know. I mean, my head immediately went to teams like Ajax and Tottenham that he's played for before. If they don't have rules that are as stringent as Serie A, and the honest answer is I don't know, I don't see any reason why if, if Eriksen feels comfortable, if the medical scans show that he's good to go, why would you not? give him this chance you know this is a it was a horrible event that we'll never forget how we experienced it but it doesn't have to be the end of Ericsson's career if he doesn't want it to be and if you know and I really hope this is is not how it ends it's really special player I mean one of the best dead ball players we've seen since David Beckham and I mean yeah I hope I hope we see him actually I hope we see him for Ajax because imagine him be coming off the bench
1: Yeah, that would be absolutely wonderful. All right, let's move on. Let's talk about a big game, by the way. AC Milan against Napoli Sunday, 245 Eastern. Our team, our Paramount Plus team, uh, our friends, Matteo Bonetti, Great Cordero, will be calling the game from the San Siro, by the way. Super exciting. Uh, A lot of coverage on Paramount Plus as well. But regarding the game itself, everybody, two teams in somewhat of a turmoil. I mean, When you look at the standings, I mean, even a few weeks ago, it was like Napoli, Milan, but now both of them are really chasing Inter with Milan in second, 39 points, but Napoli in fourth with 36 points. Uh, Since the beginning of November, Milan have picked up eight points from six matches, Napoli five, ranking them 10th and 16th, respectively, in the league during this period. Bench, let's jump with you because recent history does favor Napoli in the last 13 it was seven wins, five draws, only one loss. And Spalletti has never lost to Pioli. That's what history tells us. But what say you?
3: I say that, that Milan still are a pretty good team. You know, they've, they had their wobbles a few weeks ago in Serie A in particular. I mean, looking back at that, you know, that Vlahovic inspired win for Fiorentina, but you know, they've lost to Fiorentina and Sassuolo. They're, they're Serie A teams that, that can just give you a, a bloody nose every once in a while. It doesn't mean you're a bad team at all. Um, it is. I think that that we have seen that they are still a young team that is learning yeah. about the the pitfalls of being front runners. But you know, I saw a lot of them in the Champions League group stage as well, and they are a team that will never kind of stop fighting. Will keep going to the 99th minute and beyond. Um, I would not be thinking that that this team is going to slip into turmoil. And you know, good as Napoli have been throughout this season, I think are they still waiting. I think on on Hen, Let me know if I'm wrong there, but that was a huge loss for them. And, and obviously yeah, they're Milan still waiting great. on
1: Osserman for sure. Yeah.
3: Of course, Milan have got their own injury difficulties to deal with, but I really like the the fighting spirit of Pioli's team. And I, I don't think they'll, they'll let this league slip away from them at, at this stage of the year.
2: Yeah, I, I fully agree. And obviously, interestingly enough, uh, Napoli have, sorry guys, I'm getting cloudy brain out here. I've still got this jet lag. It's uh, you know, I'm going to get through this though. We're going to get through this we episode. We're all going to do HB. it together. We
1: forgive you. Uh, we forgive you.
2: Napoli have to play Juventus into the new year, um, and and then AC Milan have to play Roma also mm. to start of the new year. And so both of them don't have the greatest of schedules. So this could be one that turns the favors of, of an otherwise rocky season. I think AC Milan, uh, at least I see as the favorites in this one. Napoli looking like a team that you know only one win in the last six in Serie A, as as you mentioned, uh, Luis. The they they've kind of fallen off as of late, and they're st- sort of missing Osiman as much as they are, you're starting to see the impact of that. And again, this is the time of year where depth gets tested and you start to see where one player can change the trajectory of an entire season. Or you or, or you start to realize quickly what the reliance was on that player in terms of uh, delivering for your team. And so uh, AC Milan, I still worry about the age of uh, and, and whether or not uh, Zlatan can do it through the winter when you've got a lot more uh, fixtures. Obviously, this is not the Premier League. You're not doing that many matches, but... They are starting to rack up. He hasn't played a ton of games this year so far, and that's not because of rotation, just because of his health. But he's clearly the guy that they're looking to to keep them in matches, which is a little bit worrisome, again, in terms of their title race.
1: Yeah, well, regardless, uh, only four points separate first and fourth. So The Champions League and the title itself still up for grabs there. Let's put up those fixtures uh, as we look at the final thoughts here uh, in Serie A, where I mentioned Inter. Lead the table with Milan, Atalanta and Napoli and then Fiorentina. But some of the games that are playing this weekend, Bologna hosting Juventus, Atalanta against uh, Roma, Cagliari, Udinese, Fiorentina, Sassuolo and a few others. Any final thoughts on Serie A, uh, James Bench?
3: Well, I mean, that Roma-Atalanta game promises to be something quite spicy. I believe that if uh, Roma lose, lose this weekend... Does, does Jose Mourinho now not match his, his record of league defeats with Inter Milan, uh, with Roma already? I think it would be eight out of 18. And wow. if you look at the, the games they haven't lost, the games they've won, it's been against, you know, the the relatively average and less than, below average, teams of Serie A. It was interesting seeing Mourinho in his press conference say, the difference between me and Giampiero Gasparini is Gasparini's been in his job six years or however long it is. I've been here six months. Well...
2: Your um, Jose Mourinho. It's not the only difference,
3: yeah. yeah. You, you, the whole point with you is that you're the short-term guy because <laughs> no one wants you around in year three. You know, <laughs> he has had a lot of money invested in his squad, and oh, the yeah. results just are not there at all. And this is—I know he's—he's he's a different kettle of fish, and Roma are not. You know, a—they're not one of those clubs that hire and hires and fires three or four a season. But surely, like, you know, you've got to be having this conversation if as you would expect, they they lose in, in Bergamo this weekend.
2: Yeah, the other thing I would say about that is if, if, if you look at these two teams together, it seems like you would naturally lean towards saying, well, you know, history probably favors Roma in this. But actually, Atalanta are undefeated in their last seven against Roma, which does not bode well in terms of the current form plus uh, the history between these sides. Atalanta are also, uh, they've won their last six straight. It's not a team that you want to play. It seems like Roma continues to face off against teams uh, that are in peak form right now, and and I, I start to think about that and, and with regard to Jose Mourinho, if things don't go the way that I suspect they will go in this match, how does he respond to that? And has he already lost locker room? How does this com- compound, right? We saw the early days of, uh, of of him there, and we saw these the ebb and flow, the excitement that we all saw where he was super calm Mourinho, and then he became intense Mourinho, and then he started throwing players under the bus. When these compounds happen, and he's seeing that with clubs that don't have the depth. He doesn't have Abramovich behind him with, you know, the Chelsea loan system to be able to constantly have this influx of players. It's a different era for him now, and it's a different era of players, and I just worry about his ability to lead this locker room and how many more games it's going to take before he crosses that line where, you know, I talked about the Arsenal young players before at Tammy Abraham where you have, uh, you know, when when will these players turn their backs and and eventually go with a few of the veterans that turn their back on Jose Mourinho and say, hey, we're done with this. We've lost the trust in this manager. And then you slowly see this thing fall apart, um, probably publicly and privately.
1: All right. Well, let's move on to Spain. And let's just have some overall thoughts here. I mean, Sevilla against Atleti is a big one. Uh, Diego Simeone in a two-match losing streak in the league. Sevilla have conceded a league-low 11 goals this season. Uh, Very good defensively, keeping nine clean sheets in the process, Sevilla second, Atleti fourth. Uh, but you know, these games uh, are needed specifically for uh, Los Colchoneros. So how, James Bench, how do you see this one, Sevilla against Atleti?
3: I, I, what I find interesting is Sevilla feel more like the Atleti, and we've, we've spoken about this a lot, did around the Champions League draw. Atleti don't really play like Atleti anymore. They're, they're very cumbersome and, and loose in defense. I know they're they're riddled with injuries, but Sevilla, you know, they are, I did, I've not enjoyed watching them anytime I have, but you equally, you go, well, they get results, you know, it's not always the easiest on the eye, which seems bizarre when you've got Papu Gomez in your squad, but they're, you know, they're out there grinding results. I don't think this will be a particularly pleasurable one to watch, but I feel like if, if anyone's going to, you know, kill this game off and, and win it one nil or two nil, it'll be Severe for once, not Atleti.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I fully agree. Again, I think that they're gonna at, they're going to out Atleti Atleti in terms of the way that they play. Obviously, willing to play ugly, it's not pretty, but that's exactly what uh, Atleti are used to, um, or or the the brand that they built while in in La Liga. So I think this is one where where uh, I actually think Atletico Madrid could match up well with them. But it, it just seems like like Ben says Atleti is one of these teams that just the way that I saw Chelsea over the last weeks, where you're like, well, it's one game, it's no big deal, and then you go. ah! it's two games, it's no big deal, and ah, oh, it's three. And, and, you know, because they have this foundation that they've built on, which is being tough to defend. They fight like hell. They're very difficult to play against. They're not the most attractive way to play, and that is traditionally a foundation where you have one team in every league that does that really, really well, and it works. You know, a lot of teams try that. Most of the bottom half of every table try that, but they don't have the quality to do that. Um, and and so uh, it's one where I think Sevilla are, are, are in great form right now, but Atleti also uh, are, are just... You know, at a point where you you think eventually they're going to get these these points out of these matches, and it could continue to go this way, and it's not going to get any easier against Sevilla, who are willing to do it ugly against them.
1: And by the way, the odds are good in this one overall. To be honest with you, if you want Sevilla, one seventy five; if you want to draw, one ninety five; if you want Atleti, is one eighty five. So you really it could go either way. And Real Madrid, laughing all the way to the bank right now, leading La Liga so well. As we look ahead at the remaining fixtures in the league, and just some final thoughts, but. Real Sociedad against Villarreal, Elche against uh, Xavi's Barcelona, and as I mentioned Real Madrid against Cádiz who really are just running away with the league right now. Final thoughts Heath uh, on La Liga?
2: No, I mean the only other the only other thing from Sevilla is just that they they've got a bunch of injuries as well too which could play mm-hmm. into the favor of of Atletico Madrid but but otherwise I mean we're looking at an opportunity now where you split points on some level with uh with with Sevilla and Atletico. And uh, Real Madrid could jump another three points and and make it really really clear come the new year who, who the champion's going to be.
3: Athletic against Betis that looks like quite a, a fun game. I know Betis can can blow quite hot or cold, but been blowing hot more often of late. Mm. But uh, yeah, what Heath said. I th- I I going into this season I thought the one thing we might get with Madrid having not strengthened and Atleti and you know the coming forces like Sevilla we might get a real title race out of this, but it feels like it's about to become something of a procession, uh, which is a bit of a shame because so many other leagues are are shaping up to be that, but thank God for Serie A
1: and the Premier League. (laughs) Absolutely. All right. Well, let's uh, move on here very quickly, by the way, Heath, the USMNT against Bosnia this weekend. There's a great preview available that you can watch uh, with Heath and Jimmy YouTube. Uh, It's on audio as well. So make sure that you tune into the YouTube page as well on Saturday for live post-game reaction. But very quickly, Heath, what's going on? A USMNT game uh, in the middle of all this madness? How, how are we assessing this one?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's an opportunity for young players. Obviously, there's some veterans that have been called in. Um, you know, I don't want to go too deep into it because there is a preview out there that you can go and listen to if you're interested in hearing about uh, the US's BC team playing against Bosnia's BC team. But uh, there are a couple of young players uh, to note uh, with Cade with Cowell, who was linked to Barcelona earlier in the year, Caden Clark, who's on his way to RB Leipzig, mm-hmm. uh, talented young strikers. I think there's an opportunity for a few players to break in. You have some of the veterans that should keep the spine of the team, but overall... It's a real opportunity to see a couple – of there's two players from USL uh, as well that were called into the national team. Not something that we usually see. For those that don't know, USL is obviously the, the second division in, in the United States, so seeing young players get called into this camp I think is really important to make sure that we're looking holistically at the view of player development and, and calling players in that are deserving of it, not necessarily at the clubs that they're playing at. Um, so, yeah, I think overall there will be some opportunities, and I think one of these players that hasn't been called in could be one of the young players – uh, that makes the squad or is in the final camp going into a World Cup. And that could be one of the two players that I mentioned before, as well as the young 17-year-old Gabriel Slanina, who's a uh, starting goalkeeper for Chicago Fire, is dual national with Poland in the U.S. And could be one of these guys that a- sneaks in. And I know you don't want to hear it, Luis, but sneaks in and steals Sean Johnson's spot as the number three goalkeeper for this World Cup.
3: Oh, man, I love Sean. I mean, I have, a, I have a question for you, Heath. Uh, you know, obviously, and I, as I tell you and Jimmy all the time, I have enough dif- disinterest in the main USMNT or whatever C, D, E, or F team. This is going to be, <laughs> but but where is this Bosnia team coming from? You know that I'm assuming we're not seeing Mirlen Pjanic and Edin Dzeko taking a week off so that they can uh, test out MLS's best and brightest.
2: Hey, listen, I'm in Dubai right now and there is cups happening here in this region with players, with national teams outside of windows, uh, you know, uh, just full teams of missing half their players. And so this is a usual one to go back like sort of 10, 12 years when Bruce Arenas first started having these January camps. He would bring in these primarily domestic MLS players was an opportunity for the long offseason that they had. They would have these January camps that were three to six weeks long that would lead straight into their preseasons because if you got knocked out in the playoffs in October and the season starts in March, you have this really crazy window of time. And so that started as this January camp bringing in multiple players. Also, at the time, the national team was was by and large made up of at least 50% Major League Soccer players. This is sort of the the, the runoff of that, that I don't think they're going to have that January camp anymore. It's still one last chance to look at some of these domestic players in a competitive game, again, knowing that. Some of these guys haven't had a game in a couple of weeks because they were knocked out or their team didn't make the playoffs. Uh, so it's one last chance or one last look to bring some domestic players together. But for this Bosnia side, it's the same thing. It's going to be domestic players or whoever they can pull together uh, and and be available for this match. So it's primarily it's players playing in the domestic league or ones not playing in other leagues uh, like we have in, in this one with Brian Reynolds being called in, obviously a Roma player, but not getting any minutes a chance to be brought in and perhaps get some minutes in and sort of boost morale for some of these guys. So it's it's usually made up of guys who aren't playing and, and could be released by their clubs as well as domestic players in their league.
1: Well, as I mentioned, don't forget to watch or listen to Jimmy and Heath's uh, preview for this game. That's uh, Saturday, 8 p.m. Eastern, by the way. And that is it. That is our weekend preview. I'm sorry, everybody, that it wasn't necessarily so celebratory. There's so many things that are going on around the world. We, The football world does not take exclusion, but how about some final thoughts here? By the way, good luck. Uh, as PSG, who have won six of the last seven Coupes de France, they take on the fifth year Al alnoy Sorry if I uh, said that wrong, Jonathan Johnson, but hey, who cares, right? At least I'm mentioning it. But uh, it's a big game for the fifth year side as they face P. SG, uh, but any other final thoughts here, James? Bench, uh,
3: no. I mean, I would echo your good luck to our French counterparts who will be, see, that's how you don't pronounce their name, who will yeah. be uh, <laughs> facing off against I think Killian Jonathan was telling us that Killian Mbappe is likely to play in this game, so
0: wow,
3: that will be an experience for them, and who knows, you know. The magic of the, I don't know if the magic, the magic of the French cup is almost as powerful as the magic of the uh, FA cup from what I hear.
1: Not quite. Correct. Correct. It's not quite, but nearly there. Yes. Heath?
2: Yeah. I I just go back to the fact that I I played my first round of the cup game when I was in the Bundesliga against like a a team way in the bottom divisions. And it was one Mm -hmm. of the few times that I felt like king of the world, you roll into this little, uh, little village, and you know, the it's it's got like one side stand, and people are gathered around the pitch. Uh, there's you know, people standing on each other's toes, sitting on shoulders to see a view of this the mighty mighty Hansa Rostock, the newly promoted team playing coming to this tiny little village team, and that's what it's like when uh, Kylian Mbappe is going to show up. It's going to be a circus in town for him to play in these types of ones. But it, it kind of brought me back to life of just the way things were, and you know that these guys were all semi-pro or professional players trying to make it they had young players and it was one of the few reminders i had a lot of reminders uh of 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 needing to be more humble but it was it was a really cool experience to be able to do that and and players enjoy it because the crowd is different you know you're you're standing at a pitch where generally uh, i'm not sure where this one is being played at but you know uh is it out? Is it? Is it in it's Paris? At, or is it? No,
1: it, no, it's. At, I believe yeah. it's at the uh, fifth year club.
2: Uh... Yeah, so it's going to be literally like they have in, in the UK, where it's like a rail keeping people between you and the field, and that's a really unique experience because when somebody curses at you, you're looking at them field level, dead in the eyes, and and uh, it's it's a fun experience to be able to take in. Uh, so um, have fun, Killian. It'll be a good time. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and have fun to all those lower tier sites who have to face a big Goliath, just like Pierce SG. Um, hey, everybody. That was our weekend preview. Thank you so much. Heath Pierce, thank you, buddy. Thank you for having me. James Bench, I appreciate you.
2: Pleasure as always.
1: Thank you, everybody. Make sure to follow us on Twitter, KegolassoPod, YouTube.com forward slash Kegolaso, Apple Podcast, Spotify, anywhere else you listen to your pods james bench on twitter heath pierce on twitter lmechegarai on twitter have a great great weekend stay safe everybody get better marvelous Nakamba. and we'll see you next time so long